From PQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, I'm Rosecrans Baldwin, and I'm the author of the new book, my memoir, Paris, I Love You, But You're Bringing Me Down. It's the story about the 18-month period in 2007 and 2008 that my wife and I moved to Paris. We'd been dreaming about moving abroad for a long time, and an opportunity fell out of the sky, and I got a job at a French ad agency, despite the fact that I didn't have any experience in advertising, and I only barely spoke French. And so the book is about what it's like to have all these, you know, sort of romantic notions about what life is going to be like when you move to Paris, and running sort of headfirst straight into all the wonderful contradictions of what it's really like to live and work in 21st century Paris. After college, I moved to New York City and began waking up early to write fiction. So far, I'd completed two novels, both were dreck, and set about writing a third, plus started an online magazine with a friend, but none of that paid much, so for the rest of the day, I wrote anything that earned money. Pet grooming articles, real estate brochures. At one point, I had a column in a magazine published exclusively for American Express black card members. They hired me to write what was characterized as, quote, luxury humor. Oh, you know, a woman's voice said over the phone from high above 6th Avenue and 43rd Street, wine, chateaus, jokes about Greece. Can't you do that? Shortly after I replied to Pierre's email about the job, the ad agency flew me to Paris for an interview. It all happened pretty fast. Pierre let me crash on his floor and drove me to the office on the back of his Vespa. At a stoplight, he shouted, There are handles under the seat. You do not need to hold me. We had a meeting with Pierre's boss, Bernard. Bernard had long hair and chewed gum. He wore beetle boots and a slim black suit and spoke perfect English. During the interview, to compensate for my lack of credentials in advertising, Pierre said things like, Luxury humor is the type of fresh thinking that we need around here. I spoke a little French. Bernard suggested that I stop. You can learn this later, he said. He wanted to know, Bernard said, how I felt about doing presentations. So, look, there is a lot of global business out there. We need like a hundred of you, he said. English speakers, I mean. Bernard stared at me for a few seconds, snapping his chewing gum. Okay, well, he said, continuing in English. So, how do you feel about Paris? Good? J'adore Paris, I said. Yes, who doesn't? He flipped through some folders for a moment, then looked up as if he'd forgotten why I was in the room. So, we'll see how it goes. Pierre, do we have any other business to discuss? And that was the job interview. Three weeks later, I returned to Paris to find an apartment. The agency provided me with an HR representative and a real estate agent to show me around the city, which was extremely generous, I thought. We saw 11 apartments in nine hours. The agent was serious about her business. She rarely smiled, drove us around in her small Peugeot, and the HR rep was friendlier with peachy skin and a high, screwy laugh. And all day long we crisscrossed the city, and I could barely keep track of the neighborhoods, the arrondissements. Because back in Brooklyn, I'd spent hours reviewing apartment listings on websites for expats. The descriptions were dreamy and confusing. Exclusive exclusivity. Magnificent studio, totally renewed. Last floor, sight loosened on Paris. Beautiful room to be lived with U.S.-equipped cooking. Oven, patches, refrigerator. Public prosecutor's department, very brilliant, several windows. S-D-E with W-C. Close, any conveniences. 
immediate availability to seize. The first apartment we saw was above a farmer's market near the Sorbonne, on the left bank. The location was Paris Magnificent. Many cheesemongers nearby, booksellers, tabacs. It was the area known as the home of Sartre and Hemingway, the old boys you now see on postcards for €2.25. We waited 10 minutes to be let into the building, and the agent checked email on her smartphone. A lot, I thought, had happened since the days of Hemingway. Luke Skywalker had happened. Supermarkets happened. Hip-hop happened. And Joan Didion happened. Email happened. More relevant to Paris, there was 1968, and Les Halles had been raised. There were Mitterrand's Grand Projets, and Serge Gainsbourg buried in Montparnasse. The landlord arrived, and we climbed upstairs, where the apartment did not reflect the left bank's glory. It reflected us. It was a 1970s party pit, and the owner had gone in for mirroring. Walls in the bedroom were mirrored. The headboard was mirrored. Cabinets were mirrored. The breakfast bar would be great for doing cocaine. Do you like it? the agent asked in French. Ce n'est pas terrible, I said, focusing on my enunciation. She said, what would you prefer to see? I glanced at a pair of chairs upholstered in red leopard. I did not want to seize them. S'il vous plaît, I said slowly, moins des chaises des animaux. Merci beaucoup, I added. Less of the chairs of the animals. Thank you very much. The next two apartments were under construction. A fourth apartment north of the Luxembourg Gardens on a demure, quintessentially Parisian street was all green. Green walls, green drapes, green furniture, kitchen appliances and avocado. The only thing that wasn't green, the doorknobs were green, was in the bedroom behind a chair, a large trompe l'oeil painting of women's lingerie hanging on knobs. Basically, we were in a Foley Berger dressing room. It's not bad, said the agent. The HR representative agreed and went close to admire the work. The agent saw my face. Wait, we are in Paris, she said. It is creative, the capital of creative. Americans love this. Je suis d'accord, I said. I agree. Peut-être moins creative, maybe less creative. Before we moved on, the HR rep said, We thought you were creative. The next apartment, a loft nearby, was across the street from La Conciergerie, a fortress from the Middle Ages that once had been the antechamber to the guillotine. The stairs we climbed were centuries old, tacky with black mold. Ah, the charm, the agent sighed. She paused on a landing for the HR representative to agree, and the HR rep nodded, breathless, from the climb. Inside, I shielded my eyes. The loft was so bright. The apartment was wild. Windows overlooking Notre Dame's gargoyles, showing the Seine flowing east and west. Sight loosened on Paris. The bathroom was all marble. It had a bathtub with a view and river breezes. And the rent, the agent said, was nothing. Unfortunately, the apartment was about the size of the agent's car. Yes, it's too small, she said, patrolling the room in about four steps. You will hit your head, and you are bringing your wife. You will need space. The agent stopped dead next to the bathtub. Both of us took in the view of Notre Dame spires. The agent tugged up her suede boots and said she had an idea. Listen, she confided. Now, suppose you want to have an affair. Men in Paris? Just remember this place. It would be perfect for that. The HR woman said the size would be just right. She was sitting on the bed, patting the duvet. She smiled at me, blinked behind her glasses, and laughed. She said in English, nice bed, hey?
My flight home was scheduled for early the next morning. Pierre and his wife, Chloe, said I shouldn't sleep. Instead, they'd invite six friends over for dinner. It was the Parisian thing to do. That night, I caught maybe 10% of the French spoken. Lots of talk about films and politics. Everyone knew one another from art school. Everyone smoked. Someone brought up the Minitel. I'd never heard of it. It is a version of the internet that the French invented, one guy told me in English. No one beyond France desired it for some reason. Pierre and Chloe were native Parisians. Chloe was my age. Pierre was a little older. They had two young boys who were asleep upstairs, who were accustomed to their parents throwing noisy dinner parties. Pierre was big and tall, dark-haired with glasses, gregarious, upbeat, always laughing. Chloe was very pretty, slender, with short black hair and a tiny beauty mark. Both were Parisian from 200 feet. Careless, chic, self-possessed, bon vivant in dress and manner, cigarettes, turtlenecks, etc. Around midnight, we were finishing off the wine when one of Pierre's friends told a story about his grandmother who lived in the countryside outside Paris and how, recently, she had gone to the market in her village and bought a piece of cheese. However, when she brought it home, she realized the cheese was bad and this made her very angry, so she threw the cheese out the window and hit a cow. People laughed. Pierre said to me in English, Did you follow that? Of course, I said. About the cheese? The cheese? What cheese? So I recounted the whole story in English, which most of them understood. The grandmother, the cow. People exploded, laughing like a section of trombones. Pierre, who was crying, he was laughing so hard, persevered to say that the story actually had been about his friend's mother. She'd been hiking and had been trampled by a runaway horse, breaking her leg. It was ghastly. The only funny bit had been something her doctor said to her in the hospital, how she should go back and break the horse's leg for revenge. And people started laughing all over again. For the rest of the night, until 2 a.m., I sat next to Pierre and Chloe's stereo and didn't speak, pretending to be too stoned. Songs by the American rapper Young Jeezy were playing. He was, quote, the realist, and he could laugh about life's ups and downs with his trademark, aha. Meanwhile, I was counting my drinks, plunging into a long stare. I thought, Jeezy, I don't know what it's like to have my phone tapped by the feds, but I hear what you're saying. Literally, I understand every word. And I acknowledge that if we met in real life, we'd have nothing in common. But right now, you're all I've got. Or maybe I wasn't pretending to be too stoned. 3.30 in the morning, after Pierre and Chloe's friends had gone, I went out to the balcony. Paris, below me, was an empty chapel. No one was out. The big train station, Gare du Nord, was in sight, with tracks and cables like vines on the ground. Each neighboring building had a terrace for a headdress, and curved blue rooftops like hulls of ships upside down. And they'd stood there exactly how long? Had stood there above how many Americans in Paris passing through? I experienced a dizzy spell and clutched the railing. Below me, two girls floated home on bicycles, cooing to each other. The sound of a scooter came around a corner, followed by its little dark sentry. No stores were open, the city was shut at that hour, and the air smelled of laundry that hadn't dried. That morning, sneaking out of Pierre and Chloe's apartment, hoisting my black travel bag on my shoulder, I knew again that I wanted all of it. No matter how many conversations I misunderstood, 
I couldn't imagine loving Paris less, only more. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED. 